This is Hannah Nordby, the Adams County Agriculture and Natural Resources County Extension Agent, and you're listening to Agriculture Applied, Innovate, Relate, Create with NDSU Extension. Today, SDSU Cow-Calf Field Specialist Robin Selverson will be joining me to discuss post-breeding nutrition for heifers and different ways producers can achieve optimum conception rates. Livestock nutrition is Robin's forte. She has been educating South Dakota producers since 2001 and is well-versed in the topics of reproductive management, livestock water quality, heifer development, grazing livestock nutrition, cow-calf management, and programming for women involved in agriculture and beginning farmers and ranchers. She's got it all covered. Grab a cup of joe and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes when it comes to your cattle operation. You're not going to want to miss out. Okay, everyone, I'm sitting here, or Zooming here, with Robin Selverson, and today we're going to be talking about post-breeding nutrition. Specific to today's topic on post-breeding nutrition, what is your background and experience, Robin? Sure, so um, I'm a cow-calf field specialist with SDSU Extension here at the Lemon Regional Extension Center, and uh, for the past several years, we've actually been doing um, some research uh, in relation to post-breeding nutrition, specifically with heifers, and it actually all started in the mid-2000s when we did a project down at the Antelope Research Station there near Buffalo. Um, our goal that, or that year, unfortunately, we had to early wean some heifers, and of course, um, the cost will increase, I mean, early weaning heifers will increase development costs. And so we were trying to figure out how we could decrease that cost for development. And so we actually did, um, we sent half of the heifers out on grass and actually grazed all winter long and supplemented them with some distiller's grain versus some heifers we kept in a dry lot. And, and really that was interesting information we got back and we were able to reduce that cost for heifer development. But what was really interesting is what happened after we turned them out on grass um, in May. And it all was related to grazing behavior. Um, most of us know that heifers will lose some weight when we turn them out from dry lot into a pasture, um, but I didn't realize how much. We lost three and a half pounds a day for the first two weeks after we turned them out. And uh, how does that then affect reproduction? And and it does have a big impact. Um, And it's all related to grazing behavior. And so it it was very interesting. And so that's kind of my background and my experiences. And from that project, uh, from that point on in the mid 2000s, we've actually done several projects here in South Dakota since um, related to um, post-breeding nutrition. Okay. so. First things first, you know, that research really stemmed around breeding nutrition for heifers. You know, as we walk through today's topic, do these guidelines only apply to when you're utilizing artificial insemination or AI versus bulls, or are they important regardless? Most of the research we did here in South Dakota, actually all of it, was related to AI and how post-breeding nutrition uh, affected AI conception rates. Um, But you can also um, use this information when we turn out bulls too. So if you traditionally keep your heifers in a dry lot or a feed lot all winter long and develop them there and then turn them out to grass along at the same time you turn bulls out, uh, there is definitely that potential you may not see that early breed up that you would expect with bulls. So because of that negative plane of nutrition those heifers are experiencing. 
So in other words, what we're talking about today can pertain to every operation or rancher that's listening. Absolutely. I mean, we talk more on the heifer side of thing because we do know that those heifers, once they're weaned and put in a dry lot, they kind of lose that grazing behavior. And so we don't typically think about it with cows because obviously, even if you do put cows in a dry lot, you have a, a really tough winter. You don't have it. I mean, just different situations that make you put your cows in dry lots and have to turn them out prior to breeding. And it doesn't affect your cow herd. I mean, they got that knowledge, but on the heifer side of things, they sure they sure lose that grazing behavior because they don't they don't know what they like anymore, um, and so they're out there putting their head down, grabbing a piece of grass or a form or whatever it is, and they're just not sure what they like. So they're doing a lot of walking. We see that when we turn heifers out out on grass, it's because they just don't know what they like. You know, you keep referring back to this research that you did and everything, and um, we'll be touching on that like a little bit further down the road and everything. Um, but first, I just wanna really develop a strong basis or a timeline for listeners. Step one, when does a rancher need to start thinking about post-breeding nutrition? Well, that really comes down in the winter months, to tell you the truth. I mean, it's, it's called planning, and, uh, and it, our plans change, unfortunately, um, depending on our situations, if something happens. Knowing what you need to do in the winter months to make sure you have the feed resources, et cetera, available um, is critical. As much advanced planning as possible, but we know things change. We may have to keep our heifers in longer than we think in the dry lot or maybe we're able to turn them out sooner out in grass so it, it does vary but preparation is, is critical. Right and then as a rancher is thinking about the planning and that preparation are there any specific bullets that he needs to make sure that he's hitting or considering? I guess kind of going back to the preparation and planning is is really Again, things change when you turn out those, when you plan on turning those heifers out on grass. But knowing when you're going to do that will help you decide what type of resources you need to have available after breeding or if you need any res feed resources at all available. Because if you're actually able to turn those heifers out on grass two to three weeks prior to breeding, you don't need, I mean, post breeding nutrition is taken care of. I mean, they already are on that positive plane of nutrition after breeding. But if excuse me, if you intend to AI and then turn them right out to grass, you do need to take into consideration if you need to have some supplement available or some additional hay available to be able to, to actually keep that positive plane of nutrition on those heifers when you turn them out on grass. So. Hey, well, let's run through a couple of scenarios for listeners. Okay. And that maybe you can pick which scenarios do you want to start with, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I sure can do that. There's some options out there. So, um, kind of that traditional one is we do, we, in the fall of the year, we bring those heifers in and uh, we develop those heifers in a dry lot. And then in May or June, to when, depending on whenever you breed, we breed them as they come out of the dry lot and put them right out on grass. That's a very traditional system that most people utilize um, and, and, that, so that's scenario number one. Um, another scenario that uh, we can have a conversation about having those heifers developed in a dry lot again, but being able to turn those out, turn those heifers out prior to breeding. And how does that, being able to turn them out earlier, how does that affect their post-breeding post nutrition and conception rates? And then we can also take into consideration, kind of looking outside of the box, if you would say, if you would like to say that, um, is developing your heifers out on grass during the winter. 
and how does that then influence our AI conception rate or even just bull breeding rates? So those are some three different scenarios that we could have a, a conversation on. Perfect. And I guess like going back to that research you did, did that, which scenario did that tie in? Because I want to make sure. All three of them. Okay. So Perfect. Yep. Yep. So would it work if we just like go through each scenario, like pros and cons, and then how your research tied into that? Does that sound like sure. a good plan? Yep. Yep. Okay. Scenario one, you said we dry lot these heifers, breed them, and then we turn them out to pasture. And there's no period of transition That's from right. dry lot to grass. Yep, and so some of, unfortunately, when we do that, um, I mentioned earlier that you can actually see three and a half pounds of weight loss after we turn them out to grass. And that three and a half pounds of weight loss can, you know, go out to one to two weeks out. And that has actually affected conception rates by about 10% when we look at AI. So 10% is a lot. That's huge. <laughs> That's huge. So um, like I said, we, we all know that heifers lose weight when we turn them out to grass. I just don't think we all realize how much weight that they lose um, when we do turn them out. So, so that's with scenario number one, that is obviously a, a big issue is that weight, you know, that negative plane of nutrition then affecting AI conception rates up to about 10% potentially. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think a listener might think of like, well, why you said it's a very common route that people go. And as we're thinking, listening right now, it might dawn on some of us, like, why is this such a common route? But I think in talking to people, sometimes you run out of feed resources, or maybe yeah. you're just tired of having to go out and continually feed your animals. And you're just like, it's not that big of a deal. It'll be fine. And so hopefully this is a bit of an eye-opener for some people. Absolutely. When grass starts to turn green and get up to the height that, you know, is acceptable to turn out, we want to turn them out. I mean, grass has a magical power that I don't know what it has, <laughs> but, you know, they do really well out on grass, right? So um, I am for getting them out on grass. It's just how can we do that so we don't affect conception rates? And a couple of management things we could consider doing um, is if you say, yep, I got to get them turned out on grass. You know, after breeding, we're turning them, after AI, we're going to turn them out on grass. That's just what we have to do. Um, you can put out some supplement to them um, to help um, negate that lower conception rate. So the projects that we did in South Dakota, we happen to use distiller's grain, but that's not the only feed resource or supplement that you need to feed them. Um, you could put some hay out there so that they can go pick on some hay. Um, and like I said, but you need to do that for about three weeks, two to three weeks after you turn them out on grass. And I know a lot of people are saying my heifers will never come in to eat, um, but there is that potential. That, but with our research, we did notice that by supplementing them with us, uh, by supplementing them, we were able to maintain our conception, AI conception rate. So that is one management thing you can consider. Right. Well, and I think in a way it makes sense because you mentioned how the grazing behavior changes and it takes time for them to figure out or 
re-remember maybe some of those habits. And I'm sure whether you just put some bales or so, a feed source that they're familiar with mm -hmm. and they have that option and as they're going through, maybe they don't eat a lot, but it's enough to keep them going. I guess. Exactly. You know, those hay bales, you can just put them out there. You don't have to roll everything out. Just put them as a, you know, just put them out there, you know, and, and allow them to, to pick and choose on it as they want. So, so that's one way to, to help manage, mm -hmm. manage those, manage, or just lose my train of thought here, not to hopefully have that decreased conception rate. So, right. And um, I suppose scenario two, where you, you're going to dry lot them and then have a transition period where you turn them out before breeding them, that could also maybe ease up some constraints if people, if things are just getting too expensive or um, they just can't, they need to get them out of the dry lot. Can you explain some of the pros and cons in that process a little bit? Absolutely. So this is probably the the one that I favor the most compared to supplementing them after you breed them out on pasture. Um, so if we can turn those heifers out on grass two to three weeks prior to breeding, they have regained their grazing knowledge, if you want to say it that way, and they're back on that positive plane in nutrition. So when you do come in and AI them, um, you can actually just turn them right back out to grass and there is no supplementation or anything involved um, because they're, they're already on that positive plane in nutrition and there is no concerns then and we actually can have uh, maintain our AI conception rates. Um, so it's, that's why I really have a preference. Some people are saying, well, I, I, I can't really send them out to grass yet. Um, I said, well, there's options of maybe just turning them out on smaller paddocks and even still feeding them some you know, laying out some hay or supplementing them, but it's making them get out and do some grazing on their own instead of just sitting or standing on dirt. So those are some options there um, that will allow you not to even worry about post-breeding nutrition if you can turn them out early. So, and like I said, it's kind of my preference to tell you the truth because who really wants to go out and supplement your heifers after you've put them out on grass? <laughs> so um, that, that that's an option there, so. Well, and then does the amount of precipitation that you're receiving that year play into some things? I mean, I've just heard people say, well, the years that we get a lot of rain, the stools just super loose and they just, they don't think that they're getting the nutrients that they need. Whereas on drier years, maybe there's not as much grass out there, but it's got a lot of potency to it. Does that play into it at all? I'm sure it does some. Obviously, though, always in the spring of the year, we got a lot of lush green grass and have a tendency to think about um, on those, uh, we were talking about having some drier grass versus lush grass. We have a tendency to see that in calves at weaning time. You know, calves are typically coming off of hard grass, mm -hmm. um, heavier than when on the years that we have a much more lush green grass. So, um, but in the spring of the year, we usually typically have lush green grass, hopefully if we're getting the moisture that we need. So, um, but yeah, obviously that would have some factor on it too. Um, and if you can, and on, on, on uh, the heifers, so. Okay, and then our last scenario, scenario three, where 
a producer could develop their heifers on grass throughout the winter and you don't have to worry about this transition period from dry lot to pasture. I'm another big fan of this. <laughs> the project I initially talked to you guys about um, at the beginning of this podcast was about our research that we did at the Antelope Research Station where we did um, develop half of our heifers out on grass because we were trying to decrease the cost of heifer development. And we were successful at that. And we were also successful at um, having um, the same conception rate as those heifers that were developed in the dry lot and that we had more control of what their intake was. So um, I think we need to start thinking that it's, I mean, if you have winter grass and of course, if we get a lot of snow, we're going to have to supplement them. I mean, it's, it's a given. Um, but why do we always have to consider putting them in a dry lot all winter? Why don't we consider grazing them? And so, um, and like you said, then that there's no transition from a dry lot to grass. We don't have that negative plane of nutrition. So, and uh, with the project that we did there in the mid 2000s at the research station in Buffalo, uh, we were actually, the first year we were just feeding them distiller's grain, loose distiller's grain. And then the second year we were just supplementing them with um, a commercial um, cake. And uh, we, we, were gain, we were getting our one and a half pounds per head per day um, gain that we would like to see in heifers, give or take, you know, we can be depending on the how heavy those heifers were, but in our conception rates, both of those years uh, were, were very acceptable conception rates uh, for us. So we were very happy. And like I said, we were actually able at that time, uh, we were able to reduce per head per day, 50 cents per head per day on those heifers that were developed out on grass. So, and of course, winter plays a big factor on that too and how much we're gonna have to feed them and, and the cost there. Um, but we also found that um, those heifers, um, what's the word? Just handled easier, easier <laughs> um, than the ones that were in the dry lot. So then, and that could have just been our heifers there, but um, we, it was a, it was a good way to cheapen up heifer development and also then not have this issue with post-breeding nutrition and having a, that negative plane in nutrition and then affecting our conception rates, so. Well, in times of tight margins, I think that is great news for producers. And from listening to you, I think the important part, it's not necessarily if you go scenario one, two, or three, but just right. making sure that they meet those nutrient and energy requirements while also allowing for adequate adjustment times. Yep. Yeah, so some of the take-home messages here, I think from this podcast today is, is when developing those heifers, if you are gonna turn them out on grass right after, I'm sorry, if you're gonna breed, if you're gonna go from a dry lot to breeding right to grass, that you need to supplement them for at least um, 30 days or so um, to make sure you don't have that uh, 10% decrease in conception rate. If you have that opportunity of turning them out two to three weeks prior to breeding, um, then you don't have to worry about any type of supplementation after breeding. So that's kind of two take home messages right there that way you can manage. Like I said, you can see up to a 10% 10, 10 decrease in conception rates. And uh, that's, that's, that's significant, obviously, so. 
Well, and just a quick follow-up question to that for some clarification. You say if you can dry a lot and then two to three weeks before breeding, um, do that transition of supplementing while they're out on grass. What if you end up turning out four weeks ahead of time? Would you still recommend that a rancher supplements up through AI or can they stop after three weeks? Actually, to tell you the truth, I apologize if I um, didn't say that uh, so you understood. Actually, if they turn them up, if they, the, the, if those heifers are turned out two to three weeks prior to breeding, no supplementation is needed as long as there's enough grass out there. So that actually is a big uh, savings right there if you're no longer having to supplement those heifers. So um, yeah, so there's well, no supplementation required there. Darn it, Robin, I'm going to have to go back and I think my dad just won an, an um, ar not an argument, but he just, uh, <laughs> we were having this discussion and trying to figure out, he's like, oh, I just don't want to move the feed bunks one more time. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, well, dad, I mean, you're always complaining about like your breed up and stuff like that. I, I think you should just deal with it. Um, but I guess now I can go back and say that he was right and he he doesn't have to move the feed bugs again well you might have a little bit of a in your favor as long as there's enough grass out there for all of them so if there isn't then you would have to supplement them so you can <laughs> <laughs> you can come back and say that so um and a lot of people that just kind of one more thing that a lot of people ask why is it 30 days or you know why do i need to supplement my heifers for at least 30 days after breeding if I am turning them right out on grass after being in a dry lot. Um, that all comes down to embryo development and because uh, those first initial weeks after that uh, heifer is bred that embryo is um, fragile and so if the further we can get out from breeding um, the more uh, that that that, that embryo is actually attaching to that uterus of that cow, or that heifer, excuse me, and it's pretty hard to lose it then. So that's why we say, you know, if you're gonna supplement after breeding, you should do it for about 30 days. Moving into the wrapping up. Oh, there is one more scenario we could have a conversation about, and you don't have to add it if you don't want to, um, but we also did a research project about um, where we had heifers on grass all winter long. They were developed on grass and then they went either A into a feedlot or they stayed out on grass. And uh, in reality, a lot of people say, well, you would think the feedlot, the heifers that went from grass, they were bred and then put into a feedlot would have actually had a higher conception rate but they didn't. Hmm. So the take home message there is, is if they've been on grass, there's really no reason to feed that additional um, supplement, hay or whatever it might be, uh, because you don't see that uh, increase in conception rates. So um, that, again, a, a money saving thing there. So, right. Well, yeah. I suppose just really hitting home that as long as you're meeting those basic nutrient requirements and energy that you can, and they're at the body condition score that they need to be that, right? It, it, well, one thing though, what's in it, you mentioned body condition score. That's mm -hmm. a really interesting thing. Um, so let's say 
those heifers were at a body condition score six high, you know, high six sevens coming out of a feedlot or a dry lot, they're AI'd and then turned out on grass, you see a bigger weight loss and a bigger effect on conception rate than you do with those heifers that are just at a body condition score five because they they're they're crashing <laughs> so having a, you know thinking that oh my my heifers at our body condition score a good six you know some might be a low seven they're just really fleshy heifers and then you turn them out on grass they're still gonna be at that three and a half pounds of weight loss a day or more so even if you're doing that trend even if you're supplementing and stuff they're still going oh to you're, you're if you're supplementing you'd be better you'd be okay if you were doing that. But if you're kind of doing our traditional thing that we normally do is just putting those heifers out on grass right after we AI them from dry lot, AI, dry lot, then AI, and then turning them out to grass, um, those heavily conditioned heifers, you can see just a, a, as a big of an impact on those heifers than you will, you know, body condition score five, six heifers. Even though they're at the body condition score you want them to be, you know, it's like, oh, I got some leeway. They're at body condition score seven. They can lose some weight. No big deal. Well, they have the opportunity. They can lose weight. But the problem is, is the key take home also is, is those heifers can't be on a negative plane of nutrition. Mm -hmm. So granted, you might go from a seven to a six. And they're like, oh, heifers just need to be at a body condition score six. We're good. No problems but they were on a negative plane of nutrition during a critical time, so. Stressing the body out. Yep, and yep, and then that embryo needs to live. <laughs> and when we change that and they're on a negative plane of nutrition, we're affecting that uterine environment where that embryo is, so. I guess, and then one more question too would be, what about in the scenario where they're just dry lotted through the entire summer? I mean. Yeah, that, that's another one we could have a conversation on. Absolutely. Um, so if we have heifers that you want to, you know, have been dry lotted through the winter, you breed them, you can keep them in the dry lot. That's not a problem. And that's another management thing you can consider to do is, is keep them in there for 30 to 45 days in the dry lot before turning them out on grass. And then you've went past that critical point for that embryo, for embryonic mm -hmm. development. So that's definitely another management option you could consider versus supplementing them out on grass. I know it was a couple of years ago when we were going through a drought and there were a lot of guys that they just didn't have the pasture space. And so they went the dry lot route. And yeah. And it's just another option and a tool in your toolbox as these different scenarios come your way and ways to come up with solutions, right? Absolutely. There's always a way to solve something. So um, like you have mentioned a few times that it's just making sure that they have adequate protein energy um, through those critical times. So. Alrighty. Well, now as we move into wrapping things up, <laughs> You know, on, whether it's on Facebook or questions coming through my office, there's a lot of producers out there that are looking for new ways to market their beef. What is an innovative idea that has come out of current events that's caught your eye? 
That's a really good question because there's a lot happening, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> it's an interesting time to be alive. <laughs> oh my gosh, I agree. Um, probably the, I wouldn't say it's innovative, but people, it is innovative because not very many people do it, but really getting their own branded beef product, you know, going out and having some, you know, taking it to a local locker plant and, 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 uh, prosecuting a process right and all that you know but those those people that have taken the initiative to really move their actual um, branded beef product forward you know what a great time to do that <laughs> I mean having that local product available what advice would you give to ranchers that are going about fleshing out these new ideas just visit with people that already do it um there are a lot of people that have tried and have failed. Talking to those people that haven't only been successful, but also talking to those people that are like, it didn't work for us. And why didn't it work for them so that maybe you don't follow down that same path. So it sounds pretty easy, like, oh, I'll just get a branded product and we have the beef. That's the easy part to tell you the truth. It's then now, how do we actually get it marketed and what type of logo do we get? What type, you know, all of that kind of things. That's the hard part. But it's been, it's been interesting to see the, the progress that some people have made in their own operations regarded, regarding to that. So, but it's also been, I've been very thankful to see two um, people on the pork side, you know, at SDSU, this is, I think has been really neat. Our local, our SDSU meat lab has been um, slaughtering hogs and then creating pork bundles for people throughout that area. And I thought that was a really great way to be able to use up some of that and be able to help the swine industry, I guess. So I think that what about you? I have a question for you. What have you noticed as visiting with through this time? Yeah, I guess probably along the same lines of you, there's been a lot of people that have been looking for new ways to market their product directly to consumers and being someone that I'm an idea person for sure. But when it also just makes me a little bit nervous and I would just really encourage people to develop like a business plan and be talking to people that have maybe had not just positive experiences, but those negative experiences and you can learn what not to do. And I mean, just because you've done it in the past and it didn't work out doesn't mean that it's not going to work out today, but I think you can definitely learn from the past else it's going history repeats itself mm -hmm. but I know I've had some really great conversations whether it's just with you know family and friends or somebody calling into my office asking questions about the process because there is it's definitely a process if you want to do it right and of course you want to do it right else you can get yourself in a lot of hot water <laughs> well, absolutely we were talking you know mentioned inspections within locker plants and what type of inspection are they state federal both or no inspection you know what i mean so there's you want to make sure you're following the law when it comes down to it. and if you don't know what that is 
I know here in South Dakota, they can contact the South Dakota Animal Industry Board, for instance, to make sure that they're doing the right thing. So when it comes to marketing their beef or their pork or their lamb, whatever it might be, so. Right. Yeah. But I guess that's all I have, unless you have anything else or we forgot to cover something. It's unrelated to post-breeding nutrition, but I just want to throw out there to the listeners that we have been seeing some poor quality livestock water um, coming into the offices. And so I just want you guys all to have heads up on that. And uh, that, and even in areas that we've had seen quite a bit of moisture, um, still be aware of that. And um, I know here in South Dakota, in most of our regional, in all of our regional centers, and in our county, in quite a few of our county offices, we do do a test here at our offices. But regardless, contact your veterinarian or your um, NDSU extension folks, um, or your feed salesman potentially that they they we can all assist you. Um, but don't know don't neglect the water. <laughs> it has a big influence on animal health, reproduction, those things, so. Definitely, I just had a producer stop by this morning and we ran a, a quick um, total dissolved solvent test just before he turned some cows out into a pasture that he has historically had some issues with and everything. I know it makes me nervous for people. <laughs> it does me too. I am a, as you said, he, he had it tested before he turned out his cows or his heifers. And I think that's important that they, a lot of people test once they turn out their cows and they have problems. Mm -hmm. I think it's critical that they test prior to turnout. Um, as you said, it's a quick test. It doesn't take any time at all. Um, when I first moved to Harding County, I went out with a gentleman there that lived up by Ludlow. And that's what we did that day is he just wanted to check all of his water prior to turn out in each of those pastures. So um, I just, it's, and even if, you know, like you can go buy one of those electroconductivity meters for less than $60 and you can keep it in your pickup and you can utilize one for yourself. So. And I guess I would also throw a plug in just because the water tested good today doesn't mean in July or August, like it could be a completely different story and something that important to keep an eye on. Definitely. Absolutely. And another one I get a lot too, as well, my name, let's say it's a crick that's running through a couple, you know, pastures or neighbors. And they're like, well, my neighbor's not seeing any problems. And I'm like, well, it's because his cattle have acclimated to the water and you just turned yours out here in July and they've been in there since May, mm -hmm. you know, so um, they've acclimated, but I bet his calves will come off lighter than yours will. So just because your neighbors haven't seen problems doesn't mean you won't experience problems. So very valid point. It's important yeah. for people to focus on their lane and not get too distracted by the guy exactly. that's to your left or to your right. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you again very much, Robin. It was awesome being able to sit down and chat with you. And uh, yeah, I guess that's a wrap. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for having me always. If you found yourself tapping along to our theme music, those rights go out to Chuck Suki. He sure can write a catchy tune. Thursdays are launch days for new episodes. 
Topics to come include how producers can capitalize on resources such as a local and Don station and the drought monitor. Final thanks to Scotty B over on the mix board. Hair and makeup by Country Style. Coffee provided by George's and the Owl. Sure to keep you wide-eyed from sunup to sundown. And of course, to you, the listener, for your continued support. Agriculture Applied can be heard wherever podcasts can be found. If you're having trouble or have any sort of question, give me a call at 701-567-2735. Until next time, take care. Thank you.